morning, friends. How are you this morning? You know, every time that I'm tempted to think too much of myself, uh, I'm reminded that someday uh, I'm going to be out of a job. You know, uh, when we are all in heaven, there there's no need for any preachers in heaven. Do you know that? Uh, you're not going to sit down on a Sunday morning or any morning, really, and um, hear a message in heaven. Uh, the the message will have been completely fulfilled by then. Uh, so I look forward to the day of being out of business, so to speak. But I'm also um, I'm also reminded, and I I don't I don't exactly recall who said it, um, but that uh, if you are if you are um, unimagined or unentranced or uninspired by worship now, then you're going to be really bored in heaven. Really bored in heaven. And, um, and that the one job that will never go out of style, so to speak, or the one job that will never, um, never be out of business is the job of worshiper. That uh, we will forever worship. It is the thing that God has created us and designed us for and to do. And so um, I like to be reminded, I, I, I like to be reminded of that uh, <laughs> just in myself. And anytime I'm beginning to think myself too important to the worshiping life of God's people, God's church, right? Is that, hey, preachers are dime a dozen and someday we're going to be all, all be out of business, right? But worshipers never will. People who can see the Lord and, and grab onto his glory with their voice, grab onto his glory um, with, with, a, with a proclamation of who he is, of his greatness, of, of a declaration of his love, who can join others in worship, uh, you will live forever in that, literally. You will live in the reality of our worship of God. Um, although, like, my, you know, my job someday will end, um, and I, you know, I won't have a job anymore, that can be kind of, like, sad if you think about it in a really earthly way, but, um, you know, while I, while we are here, and, 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 and before Jesus comes, um, and before I go to the Father, I, I do have a job. And, and my job has always been, and I've always considered not just really my, my job in terms of the occupational sense, but my calling personally, really, as a, um, as a man, as a son of God, is, has been to, to provide um, those who I get an opportunity to serve a proclamation of the full counsel of God. The, and when I say the full counsel of God, what I mean is that, that there, um, you know, it, sometimes, um, especially I remember early uh, in my years as a pastor, being really afraid to touch certain topics. Or being really afraid to touch certain scriptures even. Because 
I didn't really have an understanding of them or was uncomfortable with them myself or maybe didn't know what I believed really yet about X, Y, or Z or, or maybe I was afraid of, you know, the, the, uh, the fallout of preaching on X, Y, or Z or whatever it, it would be. And, and, and when we cherry pick, right, when we cherry pick out things that we like and that we agree with and that are easy for us, that are palatable, right, that soothe our soul and make us feel good about who we are and, 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 and the way that we're living our lives, what we are doing, we're, we're settling for half-truth about who God wants us to be, and, and we're settling for half-truth about what God is, has purposed us for and where he's, where he's moving us and where he wants to take us. And so my desire as a son of God, as a man of God, and as someone who has been called by God is to always do the, the very best job I can to offer the full counsel of God's scripture, whether it would be difficult for me or difficult for you or difficult for uh, whomever. And here at Conduit, uh, we've never, you know, um, I, at least I've never been a part of a conversation um, since I've been here that's been like, uh, you know, well, we don't really want to talk about that because it's kind of controversial and I don't really know what we'd say or would respond to that and so let's just kind of maybe you know, we can just skirt around that passage and go to something else or whatever I've never been a part of one of those conversations so I can I can there's never been any intentional effort to to not preach about something or on something in an effort to to spare either the preacher or the uh, the people the discomfort of hearing but uh, well, one thing I will say and I think everyone would agree Cor Pastor Corey um, Pastor Corey with me haven't really made a big habit here at Conduit uh, over the over our lifespan. We haven't made a big deal or a big habit about talking a lot about money. Uh, it's just not something that we've just not something that we've done. It's, but it's certainly not because it's not important. You know, don't 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 misunderstand why it does happen or why it doesn't happen. And the reason that we have not really talked a whole lot about it. it, has nothing to do with whether it's important or not important. In fact, money is incredibly, incredibly important. It's important to me. It's important to you. It's important to, uh, it's important to the church. It's important to mission. It's important to ministry. It is important. In fact, money is one of those things that that really highlights what actually is important in life you know if I um, if I had a copy of my bank statement here um, and I, I I almost did this I almost scanned a copy of it and put it on screen um, so you could see at different times of the month or weeks or year of what's really important to me right and you would see that what's really important to me a lot of times is um, the, uh, the quantity and quality of coffee that I'm consuming, right? And you see purchase, 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 purchase for quality, for coffee, right? But, but, you know, there's this old adage that if you show me your checkbook, right? Or if you show me your bank statement, I will show you what's important to you. And while there are, of course, nuanced exceptions to that, by and large... Um, where we spend our money reflects what's important to us. 
Um, and so for, to, to kind of disregard that, that reality, even, either in a spiritual sense or in the general sense of our own personal lives, um, is, is negligent, right? It's, it's negligent. So, um, you know, uh, sometimes when it comes to money, uh, I, I've found, at least in my experience, that, that churches maybe won't share or talk a whole lot about it because they, out of fear that they'll be categorized as that church, right? A church is always talking about money. And all they want is your money. And, 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 and every other word is money. And every is love offering and every other thing is uh put your money in the plate and every other thing is money 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 and and and, and certainly um uh, we want to you know we want to have a balanced perspective on everything in life and everything in our our faith and spirituality and that would include money right like it's not uh it's not the it's not the goal of why jesus came right it was to is to sanctify your wallets right he's come to sanctify your soul right he he has come so that you might have justification before the father he has come so that you might have life and life abundantly right um so so certainly we want to have a nuance or a balanced perspective on on what it means to be christians who also have money and and some of us have a lot of money and some of us don't have hardly any money and and i think what we're going to see this morning or at least what i believe that the lord um, has given to us in, in scripture is that um, amounts of money um, are not really, I guess you could say, amounts of money are not an issue. They're not a big deal. Certainly not as big of a deal as, um, as we have often made them out to be. So our, our goal is to always share with you in proportion to scripture's witness on the importance of money. The importance of giving, the importance of generosity, the importance of wise financial practice. And to talk about those things because it's important. Now, here's, um, here's something that I want you to be very clear on, first and foremost, okay? Um, God does not need your money. He doesn't need it. You know, and anytime you hear um, a message or you, you read something or you encounter something where, where the, uh, the motivation to give is that God needs this in order to accomplish X. Man, you run. <laughs> because that's got bad theology wrapped all up in it. Listen, God does not need your money. God does not need anything. God, God is, is perfect in all of his ways. He is perfect in his character from A to Z. There is nothing that we have that God needs. God has everything that he needs at all times in the full measure. Right. So we're not starting from the point of God needs something that you and I have, therefore, we must give a percentage of what we have to God because he needs it. Now, that is not the same thing as saying that the church 
the mission, the goal, does not need money. In fact, it's the exact opposite. But listen, even though God does not need your money, I'm going to go so far as to say that God wants your money. doesn't need it, but that God wants it. I think we can say that um, because how, how tightly and how, how, um, how strongly money is linked to our heart's greatest desire. How, how important money is to us. See, what, what God wants, right? God doesn't need our money doesn't need anything, but what God wants is our hearts. When I say our, I mean literally our, us, here in this room. This body, community of saints who are on mission to accomplish things through Jesus, for Jesus, right? God wants our hearts perfectly aligned together. Because we, we, have, we, we have faith in the same Savior, right? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father in us all. We are, we are our hearts being aligned, moved and motivated to see the mission of God accomplished. And in, and in order to see of God on the earth accomplished in order for us to fulfill our our um, our calling as God's plan a to see to see wholeness and redemption in your homes in our churches in in this city throughout the whole world our hearts right every single person's heart here God wants to bring them in alignment with each other so that as we pool together, there's, there's, there's power in coming together. Both in the encouragement of a large crowd, but also, honestly, in the pooling of our resources for the accomplishment of mission. That it's impossible to do it on our own, right? If I go this way, and you 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 go this way, all scattered about, all in different directions. We, we waste and expend so much energy in 200 different directions, right? Where if by faith in Jesus Christ, we believe that God can align us together, not just in heart and mind, but also in resource, then the mission that he has given to us in our homes, in our churches, in our city, truly can be accomplished. And so God does not need your money, but what God does want is your heart aligned with the person sitting next to you, your heart aligned with the person sitting behind you, your heart aligned for the fulfillment of his plan A. This is going to be... Um, 
man, this is like, this is the mantra, should be the mantra of giving in every believer's life. And not only in every believer's life, but in every church's life. Um, and I, when I, had, I had them put it on the screen so that you could remember, so that I could remember. Listen, we give so that others may believe. We give so that others may believe. Well, I thought we gave so that we could have the lights on. And so in January, the heat could be on. And uh, I thought that we give we could pay to have a, a food truck or that we could support our staff or um, all of these things. True. So true, right? But at the, at the core, right, the foundation, right, the, the purpose of our giving is that, is that we give so that others may believe. We give so that we have a building to bring others that they may grow in their, in their faith and knowledge of the Lord, right? So that they may be transformed in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. We, we give so that we can hop in that food truck and go out and make snow cones and give smoothies and be at downtown events. Why? So that others may believe, right? We, we, we do. We, we do give so that, so that staff can be added to our, our midst so that they can help align mission and align vision and help to organize and, and, and equip and, and, and pour out. Why do we want to organize and, and vision and, and mission and equip and send out? Why do we want to do that? So that others may believe. And so, and so you can, you, you may think about it in just a, like a, oh, well, yeah, I mean, we've got to pay the light bill, right? Got to pay the heating bill, right? Well, yeah, that's absolutely, like, yeah, we, yeah, we got to do those things, right? We got to do those things, but, the, but we don't do them just because we want to do them, right? We don't, we don't pay national fuel to pump gas into our building so we can run our boiler, and heat our building just because, man, we really like National Fuel, and they're kind of down and out lately, and maybe we should send them a couple hundred bucks, you know? No, 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 we do it so that others may believe. All the time, our motivation, and every dollar that goes in the plate, every penny that goes in the plate, we do it so that others may believe. Now, I want to share with you an example from Scripture about, like, this amazing group of people who did not see their lack as any obstacle to a generosity um, of resource so that mission could be accomplished elsewhere. All right? Uh, so open up your Bible to uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament, so if you can find the Gospels... You're going to go to the right of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you're going to go to Acts, and then the book of Romans, and then 1 Corinthians, and then you're going to find 2 Corinthians. And we're going to be in chapter 9, or chapter 8 and 9, I'm sorry. Uh, now, 
Uh, as you're finding it, I want to tell you about this group of churches that Paul, the Apostle Paul, planted. Right? He started these churches. Um, it's, they're, they're sometimes known in Scripture as the Macedonian churches. All right? uh, they're, they're, they're churches in a certain geographical area. Um, in, in, can you guess? Macedonia, right? Um, and some of those church, some of these churches are very, uh, some of these churches are very uh, popular in Scripture, and other churches are not very popular in Scripture, but that still exists. And if you have a, uh, if you have a, any of those maps in the back of your Bible, you'll be able to see uh, some of those. They usually have Paul's missionary journey maps back there, and you can see that in the area of um, Macedonia, where churches like the church in Philippi or the church in Thessalonica, right? Two, two letters that we have here in our New Testament that, that, um, that are, are out of that Macedonian area. Well, what was true about the Macedonian churches and the Macedonian area is that it was typically a economically depressed, right? Sound familiar? Uh, economically depressed area. Meaning they were, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, they weren't big cities, right? They didn't have, they didn't have extensive, like, um, uh, trade going through them. They weren't always on the coast, uh, which typically identified a city as being more wealthy. They were, they were typically agrarian, right? Small, sometimes influential, most of the time not. But, but by and large, they were poor, Okay? Paul planted these churches uh, first, right, before he went to this big, booming port city named Corinth, and where he would, would um, soon plant a church there. And Corinth was like the most cosmopolitan city in the Macedonian slash, slash Grecian area of its time. It was a strategic port, a little canal, right? And all of the trade that came through that area came through Corinth. And because it came through Corinth, it was very wealthy. It was very diverse. It was very upscale, right? They had every possible resource that they could ever want in Corinth. But what they didn't have was any, like, any depth of spirituality, right? There was, no, there was no humility of Christ-like knowledge, right? The Macedonian churches were the complete opposite. No resources, but man, did they love Jesus. Man, did they understand what Paul was trying to do. Man, did they just get that our job as a community of believers was to support the work of the mission moving forward wherever it would go, whenever it would, however it could get there. And so when Paul here in 2 Corinthians is talking to or writing a letter to the Corinthians, He's kind of rehashing some of these really critical or crucial issues, right? So he says in verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, keep in mind, okay, he's writing to the Corinthian believers. Believers who are, by every stretch, wealthy and influential. So now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. So he's writing to the church in Corinth 
about their, their brother and sister churches in the Macedonian area. Verse 2. Out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Here's what you got to know. Prime, the, who are the primary funding people, the primary funders of Paul's missionary work in the city of Corinth? It was the poor Macedonian churches. It was the poorest of the poor people that Paul had ministered to yet that, that when they heard, right, that, that Paul was seeking to go into this hotbed of culture and resources known as the city of Corinth, that, that they urgently and eagerly pleaded with him for the opportunity to share in his service to them. And Paul even goes so far as to say, Corinth, hey Corinthian church, here's an example for you. The Macedonian churches, even in, their, in, even in the midst, verse 2, of a, their most severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. There's this word, generosity. And we... We, we use the word generous all the time, and we, we think about being generous all the time. And, 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 and typically, what the way that we talk about generosity is, well, man, I have so much. I can, I can afford to be generous with what I have. Because look at my... Man, I got stacks upon stacks. I'm, I'm blowing my nose with $20 bills. All right? Just like generosity all over the place. All right? And so, yeah, man, it's, I, God has blessed me, and I've got so much, and so it's easy for me to be generous when, when I have so much. Right? And maybe I'm there saying, well, I... I would like to be more generous. I, I would like to be a generous person, but I, I don't hardly have anything. Maybe I'm a single income family, or I have a lot of kids, or I don't have a, I'm, out of, I'm out of work right now, or I'm on disability, or whatever the case may be. Like, I just don't have, I don't have a whole lot, so I, I, can't, I can't be generous. And what Paul sharing with the Corinthian church who was very wealthy, right? Is that the Macedonian church who was very poor had overwhelming joy in their great generosity. Now, here's what we need to know about generosity. As a general principle, both in your life and in our life as a church, it's this, is that generosity is a heart condition, not a possession condition 
that, that generosity is a trajectory and attitude of my heart, not a response to an abundance of personal resources. So, so I, am, I am generous not when I have an abundance of resources and therefore share them. I am generous when, when my heart recognizes what I do have and sees it as overflowing joy and opportunity to share even the small amount that I do have with someone or something else. Generosity is when I give in abundance of what I do have for the sake of someone else. Well, I'm sure he's saying, well, like, man, I, yeah, I would, man, I would be the most generous person you ever met if I made six figures. And I think that what generosity in scripture teaches us is that if you're not a generous person when you have nothing, you won't be a generous person when you have everything. Because generosity is not about the amount of possession, right? Generosity is, is about the trajectory and attitude of my heart. My desire to use what I have, whatever measure that may be, for the benefit and blessing of someone else. Um, in fact, we're going to jump ahead in our scripture here, uh, just a few verses, to show you that, that Paul... Paul says this very thing. This is not Cameron's definition of generosity, okay? Because if you jump ahead in 2 Corinthians 8 um, to verse 12, you'll, you'll see that Paul says this very same thing. He, he, says, um, he says, look, if the willingness is... The, okay, wait, background. So what he's doing is Paul, the Corinthians, right, had promised... We don't know for what and, for, and how much, had made a verbal agreement to support Paul's ministry to go somewhere else. We presume to go to Rome, right? They had made a verbal agreement to support financially his ministry to go to Rome, but have not, had not yet um, fulfilled that promise. Hey, Paul, we'll fund your trip to Rome. Plan it, book the flights, get your hotel room, We'll pay for it. Let us know when the bill comes in, right? And, and they, we're a little slow on, on doing this, right? Um, why? Well, probably because God was still developing in their heart a trajectory of generosity. Um, but anyway, so the reason that he's writing this is like, hey, look, if the Macedonians can be generous, y'all can be generous, right? And, and so when he comes to verse 12 he um he speaks about generosity as it pertains to the measurement or abundance of possession or resource that you have and he says um in verse 12 for if the willingness is there willingness to give the willingness to if the willingness is there the gift is acceptable According to what one has, not according to what one does not have. 
So, so God does not measure the level of our generosity by the amount in which we give. God, God measures, if he measures at all, right, the amount of our generosity by our willingness and urgency and eagerness and joy that we take in participating in what he is doing by giving what we have. Whether that's a cup of coffee we buy for someone um, because we can't afford to buy them lunch, but hey, I can take you out for a cup of coffee and just listen to what, what's on your heart. Or, you know what, I, I can't even afford a cup of coffee, but you know what I can be generous with? I can be really generous with my time. Let me super generous with my time. Let me just spend some time with you. In fact, can I watch your kids for half a day? You go out and do whatever you want. Or, or can I just come over and like sit with you and just become friends? Like we can be generous even when we do not have. So when we go on into um, uh, chapter 8 here. Uh, for instance, we read chapter 8, verse 4. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege in, in sharing this service to the saints. Man, this is incredible. This is just an incredible example of how a generous heart transcends the abundance or lack of possession. Because, because what the Macedonian churches saw was an opportunity to, to push the mission of God just one step further. Man, we don't got a lot, Paul. We, we don't have hardly anything. But if what we have will get you to Corinth, if what we have will even get you halfway there, then we are all in. All the chips into the center of the table. Please let us do that. Please, please, please. And can you imagine, Paul, right, knowing their financial situation? Was, was probably like, uh, look guys, I, I understand, but man, you really need this, and like, I don't, I feel like, would feel weird receiving this, and the Macedonians are on the other side being like, no, 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 please, 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 please let us do this. We are, we are so amped, and so pumped, and so excited for what God is going to do in Corinth, that we can't see any other way to be involved except this. I, I may not be able to go to Corinth with you, Paul, but man, if, if these two shekels get you one step closer, then, then yeah, I'm on board, and I'm going to be a part of what God is doing there. Generous giving. Generous giving. Not, not abundant giving. Right? Hear me. Generous giving. Giving that came from a heart that desires to do something for someone else. Generous giving all throughout the New Testament, but especially here, was a catalyst for the spread of the gospel. Some would say the greatest catalyst. Generosity of heart was a catalyst for the spread of the gospel. We don't have any idea. We can only presume to think that it was the Macedonian church's generosity 
that allowed Paul to travel to Corinth when he did. And, the, and the, their giving became, their generosity became a, a catalyst for what God was doing there, right? And why does that matter? Well, I mean, you can see kind of the spiritual work that was done in Corinth by the two letters that we have in the New Testament. But right, if Paul never went to Corinth, where would he, where would he not have gone? He would not have gone to Rome, right? And you, you need only to look at the book of Romans to see um, the spiritual depth and weight of that missionary journey there, right? So that there is a, is a water-falling effect of one single act of generosity that had nothing to do with the amount, but had everything to do with the heart of the Macedonians who were like, Paul, if what we give pushes the mission one step further, we will do it. And so Paul could go to Corinth. And then when Paul goes to Corinth, the Corinthians are like, yeah, 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 we'll fund your mission trip to Rome because, yeah, we believe in it too. And then Paul goes to Rome. And so it was the single act of generosity by the Macedonian churches who were poor as poor could be that catapulted and catalyzed the movement of the gospel throughout much of the Mediterranean. It's not the amount. It's the heart of a generous giver. And what, um, here's the thing, is that we don't often think about the generosity of others that made it possible for you and I to be in this room today. We didn't just poof and exist, right? It was the generosity of others who went before us. Some of you who are in this room, right? We're there from the very, you've been here from the very beginning, right? And you've been giving generously to the mission of Conduit right from the very beginning without fail, without fail, without fail, without fail, without fail, without fail right? And, and, and why, right? Now, now, now look at this room and, and, and imagine every person in this room, the, the heart of generosity, the spirit of generosity, and the act of generosity that went into you being here today. Maybe it went so far into, maybe you came to know the Lord here. Maybe this is the first place that you've ever been when you've been, been told how much Jesus loves you, right? And what Jesus has done for you. Maybe this is the first time that you've ever, far, uh, you've ever felt a part of something bigger than yourself. Maybe this is some, the, the, the first place where you've ever felt like you could be yourself and be loved and not be judged by those around you. It's because of the spirit of generosity of people that have come before you that the opportunities that we have to be in this room right now exist at all. And so imagine with me, will you? Imagine with me the generation of people that will be affected by the grace of Jesus Christ through your generosity. And, and, there, and maybe that person is sitting right next to you. Right? Maybe it is maybe it's the little push of generosity by you that is that topples the do dominoes, right? Creates the waterfall effect in that person's life because of ministry that is coming out of conduit. But don't underestimate, do not underestimate how every time 
you put something in that metal bowl back there. Every time you hit the button on the app, every time you express a radical form of generosity, how you are altering the spiritual destination of someone that you might not even know, you might not ever meet, but that desperately needs to know Jesus. Uncritical. So, moving on into chapter 9. Paul, this whole chapter 8 and chapter 9, it's just a continuous line of thought from Paul, right? And he comes into chapter 9, and uh, start, starting in, in verse 6, he says some things that kind of begin to make ugh, hard, right? Because we've been talking about how, like, amount doesn't matter. And it truly doesn't, right? But then Paul says these words in, in chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Well, that sounds an awful lot, Pastor Cameron, like, well, if I give big time, I'm going to get big time, and if I give small time, I'm going to get small time. It appears that way, right? Because in culture, in our culture, that's what we've been trained to think, is that you got to, like, invest a lot to get a lot, right? And, and that's not, as, not at all what Paul is saying here. Paul, Paul is not saying that, that um, if you give a lot of money, you're going to get a lot of money talking about he's using the word generosity right you if you if you sow generously you are going to reap generously well what is generosity what is what it, it's not is it about amounts is generosity about amounts no all right so it again is a condition of the heart so paul is not saying if you give a lot of money you're going to be blessed and if you give a little bit of money you're not going to be blessed. No, all, all in, in, in proportion to the trajectory of my heart, God sees and God honors. God sees and God honors. And, and, and you can't, like, God, God, doesn't, God doesn't forget, right? Hey, uh, psst, ah, psst, ah, ah. Um, Christmas is coming up, and... Um, and uh, all year, I've been really generous. So uh, if you could kind of remember that promise of reaping and sowing generously right around December, that would be awesome, God. Thanks. God doesn't forget, right? God, you, don't, you, don't need to, you don't need to remind God to fulfill his promise to you. There, he needs no reminder, right? Um... Listen, generosity is not a comparison game. It is not a comparison game, but it certainly is. Um, it certainly is here what Paul says in verse six: that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly; whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And listen, 
This is probably one of the most important things that you're going to hear this morning. I pray each one should give, verse 7 in chapter 9, each one should give what they have decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A church that I used to go to in college, um, the guy would stand up and getting ready to take the, uh, take the offering, and there would be this really sarcastic like, way in which he would put up a smile because he, everyone kind of felt like it was true. God loves a cheerful giver. Right? Because the, the act of taking money from my pocket and putting it someplace else was not always or can sometimes be a painful experience. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying that, hey, each one should decide in their own heart what they are going to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Now listen, the Macedonians were cheerful givers. How do we know that the Macedonians were cheerful givers? Well, because Paul says that, hey, Corinth Church, the Macedonians pleaded with me urgently to, sh to, to let them share in this service. They, they wanted nothing more. Like, we want to give, 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 right? So it's like they, they thought about it. They considered the implications. Like, well, yeah, we can be a part of, of Paul's mission to um, Corinth. Well, we can't necessarily go there. What can we do? Well, we can pool our resources. Okay, you have this, and you have this, and you have this. All right, let's, let's yeah, yeah, perfect. This will, this will provide for his trip. Now let's give it to him. And they did. And there was like this intentionality to that decision, right? Now, how many times, we don't pass a plate here, right? Um, but, but how many times, I mean, I'm assuming that most of you have sat in churches where an offering plate has come by, right? And, and, um, and there's ever, have you ever had this experience, this moment of like, oh, sh oh no, it's coming, shoot, uh, do you have anything to put in the plate, or, um, uh, yeah, uh, I got a couple bucks, uh, right, like a, well, I didn't think about it, I, I didn't, I didn't consider, I, I, I didn't take, I didn't have any consideration about what this actually, like, what this actually means. What this, what, what the fallout, what the waterfall effect, what the domino effect of my money in the plate actually produces in the kingdom of God. I put no thought into it. I did not consider it at all. Oh, this church always just wants my money. Here comes the plate again. Well, see what I got in my pockets today. Oh, I'll put it in. Right? God, God's like, no thanks. Rather not. I don't need it that bad, he says. What I really love is someone who, not under compulsion, not because the plate was coming and we had to do it quick before it got here and I was embarrassed because I had nothing to put it in, not reluctantly being like, But what gives joy to God's heart, what perks God's ear, what 
what grabs God's attention is this person who's been like, man, I've been waiting for this opportunity all week, and I can't wait for that place to get here because I've been thinking about it, I've been praying about it, and I can't wait to see what this is going to do in the kingdom, and yeah! This guy loves the heart, the trajectory of a person's heart that just wants to give of what they have so that someone else may believe. We give so that others may believe. And you know what happens there? Paul says exactly what happened. One of the greatest parts here. Look at verse 12. 12 and following. 12 and 13. This service that you perform the, the service of giving generously this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves Men and women will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Listen. There's a very real temptation to want to be recognized for our generosity. Very real temptation. Okay? And sometimes the temptation is even noble. Right? We want others to be encouraged by our generosity. Right? And so that they would be, then step into generosity. But, no, I think the, I think the downfalls far outweigh the benefits there. Okay? Because... What, what Paul tells the, the Corinthians here is that, listen, your generosity, this service that you have shared with the church triumphant, right, with the church as a whole, what it's produced is not a great reputation for the Corinth church as generous people. What it's produced is all kinds of other people who say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing what you have done in my life. Thank you, for, thank you for sending Paul here to preach to me about the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for providing for my needs. And, the, and their eyes go not to the Corinthian believers who provided the gift, right? but to God. And, they, and, those, and those people whose needs are met, they give glory to God, and they, they overflow in expressions of thanks to God. They will praise God. Praise God for your obedience. Church, there will be people in the city of Jamestown who praise God because you were obedient and generous. 
and we don't talk about money a lot here, right? Shame on us. Seriously. For robbing you of the opportunity to be generous so that others may believe. Your generosity, the richness of your generosity directly affects someone coming to know Jesus. Listen, we give. Why? Because God needs it? No. We give so that others may believe. We give so that others may believe. Let me encourage you, church, to be generous givers. Not reluctant, not under compulsion, but like a man, I'm going to race people to get to that offering bucket. I'm going to give today for next Sunday. Knowing that we give because others may believe. Let's pray. God and Father, all we we turn to your word and we turn to your spirit, turn to the Holy Spirit, Lord. When, Lord, when we need truth. And truth is not always um, truth is not always easy. It's not always palatable. It doesn't always come, um, you know, as something easily received, Lord. And so, Father, for those of us here who, you know, maybe receiving this word um, in a harsh or unhealthy way, Father, I pray that you would sanctify even my own words. That nothing, Lord, that does not please you would reach their ears. But Lord, that you would inspire and motivate our hearts to be generous on every occasion so that others may believe. In Jesus' name, amen.